So as we uh, as we gather together for for prayer for awakening and revival, I want to turn your attention briefly to a, what should be a very familiar text on prayer, but it's very foundational. Uh, so First uh, John chapter five is where we'll be for a, a moment here this morning. First John chapter five, <clears throat> and particularly verses thirteen through fifteen. And I like to think of this text as talking about two Christian certainties, two Christian certainties, which should should in our minds be parallel with each other. Uh, one should be just as certain in our minds as the other. Um, in fact, one of these certainties flows out of the other. And not much in life, of course, is absolutely certain. But when we have these absolute certainties which God has given us, they function as anchors, and they should also move us to confident action, in this case, to prayer. So let me just read the fuller context really quick, um, starting at verse 9 of First John chapter 5. We'll read down through verse 15. <clears throat> if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then notice what immediately follows in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is, we who do believe in the name of the Son of God, we who do have eternal life, that know we have eternal life, we have this further confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So, uh, flowing into this in the Apostle John's thought, verses 9 through 10, he talks about the fact that we are under moral obligation to believe in Jesus Christ, because if we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we're treating God as a liar. He's testified about his son to us. In verses 11 through 12, if we receive God's testimony about his son, then we have his son. We, we possess Jesus as our Lord and Savior if we've received God's testimony about him in faith. So whoever has the son of God, John says, has the eternal life that God has provided in his son. Because God has testified not only that Jesus Christ is his son, he's also testified that his only begotten son is the source of eternal life. He's the only source of eternal life for sinners. So to reject Jesus is to reject the very life of God, but to possess Jesus is to possess eternal life. And, of course, that leads into verses 13 through 15, these two certainties, these two Christian certainties. Uh, so John's point here is that if we trust in God's testimony about his son, we can be certain of our relationship with God. And he, he first of all, uses that for simple assurance of salvation uh, that we have eternal life and then he uses it for assurance in our prayers uh, because if we've trusted in god's testimony about his son we we have these certainties in our relationship with god 
Um, so the, the first one I won't spend a lot of time on, but the first certainty, obviously, is that God has given us eternal life in his Son, according to verse 13. Uh, when we believe in the name of the Son of God, we, we know that we have eternal life. It's a basic certainty for all believers in Christ, and I hope you have that certainty that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Sovereign now and forever, that you're assured of eternal life by God's Word. But I'm assuming, you know, that most of us on this call are, are believers because we're praying together in the name of our common Lord. Um, so we may have this assurance, this certainty, this certainty of eternal life with our Lord, but we can also be certain of something else based on that. If we have that ongoing relationship with God and abundant life that he gives us, then we have direct interaction with God. Uh, this relationship isn't just about God minding his business and us minding ours, but we have a direct interaction with God that is assured as well. So that brings us to verses 14 through 15, which say that God will give us whatever we request according to his will. This is a very basic teaching of God's word, but, but we always need, I think, to hammer this into our hearts because um, we tend to have our doubts as we go to prayer, but, but this is the second Christian certainty, just, just as basic a certainty as the fact that we have eternal life in the first place, is the certainty that God will give us whatever we request according to his will. Because verse 14 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Notice first in verse 14 here that God always accepts requests which are made um, by his own in line with his desires. He always accepts requests made by us, his children, that are in line with his desires, his will. When it says that we have confidence in him or before him, confidence has the idea there of freedom of speech, a bold confidence to speak freely before the throne of God. And was it, what is it talking about when it says anything once, I guess you would say that, that the scripture uses this idea of the will of God. Um, his will here means his will that he reveals to us in the precepts of his word. Um, there's also the aspect of God's decreed will, his, his eternal plan for all things, which he always brings to pass, his, his uh, secret will, you could call it. Um, but it is his secret will. Scripture tells us that um, unless he's told us something specific in prophecy in Scripture, other than that, we can't really know his plans in detail ahead of time. So we can't sort of predict what he's already going to do and then pray according to that. No, but he does tell us what pleases him, his will in that sense. As he says in the scripture, this is um, the will of God, your sanctification, or Romans 12 at the beginning. Um, we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can, by testing, prove and approve what the will of God is, what's good and acceptable and perfect. So it's talking about God's will in the sense of his desires that we see in his precepts in his word. What pleases God? 
So he does tell us what pleases him. And so he tells us to ask him for those sorts of things, ask according to his will. And the, the tough thing here is not to figure out what is being said in the text, it's to believe it. Do you believe this without qualification? That if you ask anything that God says would please him according to his word, he hears you and he'll answer you. And certainly I think uh, that the great topics which we bring before the Lord in this group of um, the, the sinners being saved, uh, the saints being built up in the faith and revived in their faith, and uh, all, all the things surrounding that, that's certainly according to the will of God in Scripture. And of course, we need to apply that in, in our little contexts, uh, in contexts of our own family and our own um, people we know and the situations in their lives. And of course, there's some things against God's will. Sin is against God's will, and that includes sinful motives. So like James says in James 4, uh, sometimes we uh, ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions, which aren't according to God's will. They're according to our own self-will. Um, but if we ask according to God's will, it goes along with the idea the Gospel of John emphasizes of asking things in his name, in Jesus' name. It's a court, asking according to, to Christ's name, according to God's name, according to who he's revealed himself to be and what he reveals himself to be like. And we have blanket promises based on that. John 14, for instance, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Or, or John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Because we're so abiding in Christ that we know what his will is, and we ask that way. Uh, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And down in verse 16 of that text, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. We could go to John 16, where it, Jesus says, it's not that I'm going to be begging the father to listen to your prayers because the father himself loves you because you've loved me and believe that i came from god um in that context text he says whatever you will ask in my name john 16 26 um i'll, I'll give it to you and that day you'll ask in my name and and the, the father will love to receive those sorts of prayers so we can have confidence to speak directly to god and freely bring our requests to him not just not just when we see him face to face one day, not just when we bodily stand before his throne, we have that free intimacy now. And that's the preciousness of prayer. And as we wrap this up here, uh, we find in verse 15 that God always grants requests that he accepts from us. He doesn't accept requests from us and pat us on the head and say, uh, I know you meant well, I'm not going to answer it, but I heard you. That's not how he is. Um, John, first John 5 15, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So it's, it's very simple for Jesus sake, God's given us believers eternal life. For Jesus sake, God will give us what we ask for in his name. So that's how Jesus could say, Matthew 7, verse 7, for instance, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened? Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The C.H. Spurgeon said, brethren, if there be a God, and if this book be his word, if God be true, prayer must be answered. And let us on our knees go to the sacred engagement as to a work of real efficacy that is something that actually works. So if we're growing weary in prayer, if we've asked God for things that he apparently hasn't granted yet, we still have to believe his word. We have to believe that God will help us to pray according to his will, even though our prayers are always flawed. Often that we know the answer won't look the way we initially pictured it. But God will accomplish his will through our prayers. So I'm going to just finish by reminding you of the promise in Romans 8, verses 26 to 28, that should comfort us and motivate our prayers. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And flowing out of that, the famous verse, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So that's my encouragement for today.